Nighttime on Still Waters. This is NB506812, narrowcasting into the night from somewhere on Britain's waterways. Ninth of February, Tuesday. Last night's snow lies uneasily on the ground like a miser's blanket, threadbare and uneven. But it's enough to see the lacework of indistinct and broken form tracks of nighttime life. And for once, I can see what Penny sees with her nose a terrain full of movement and life. For a time, my temporal world merges with hers, filled with foil and imagined forms. You join me tonight on an ice-locked Erica adrift in midwinter. The temperature is nudging towards zero and there's a jagged southeaster hitting us broadside, but it's warm in here and the kettle's boiled and an even warmer welcome awaits you. An area of high pressure over Scandinavia has meant that we've had a change to that weekly cycle of cold and then mild wet weather. And last week, Storm Darcy has sucked down some frigid Arctic air and a bitterly raw east-northeast winds that ring with Sami bells and wolf howls and tears and burns the face and ears and nips the nose and even Penny trudges hunched and disconsolate through the frost-crusted mud. There was a flurry of activity on Monday as everyone stocked up with water and fuel in preparation for the cold to grip. And we've had some flurries of hard whipping snow that lay for a while on Monday, but by Tuesday afternoon it had all pretty much gone. And even though the cold wind is penetrating, the Sun feels syrupy strong, and it lifts the spirit and echoes with memories of summer's past. The Victorian red brick of Bridge 55 felt warm to the touch, and smelt of the long days when veils of gnats hang over the water and doves call rich in summer warmth. But the air is still chill-cold, and the northeasterly wind, sharp as wolf fangs, lay siege to the boat. Fierce, needle-like draughts tried to gain entrance and penetrate the cabin through the doors and windows and hatches and vents. The creeping, vicious cold of Fimblewinter, of Ragnarof, and Alan Garner's weird stone of Brisingerman and we kept both stoves going and been enfolded in warmth. And now the ice has returned. Nighttime temperatures dip seriously below zero and the cratch cover crackles and glitters with icy frost. Fingers burn as they fumble with zips and the water is glazed. Orion, Cassiopeia, the plough, Hang in the dark, studs of stabbing light, brittle icy fire. The night burns with cold light. 
and this time the ice grips the Erica firmly. Ice rhymes the inside of window frames and frosts the inside glass. Normally, because the boat is warm, and of the fairly constant gentle rocking as people move about inside, a gap remains around the hull, ice-free. But this time the ice holds us fast. And it's thick ice. About one and a half to two inches thick, and the Erica creaks and groans, breaking free, sending metallic, reverberating, almost electric sounds pulsing, ringing bell-like with purity through the ice sheet that surrounds us. I see that a lot of boaters have noticed the noises, and on Twitter, narrow cruising girl described it so beautifully as the ice singing. That strange, haunting, whale-like noise. Aquatic. Pure. They pulse and dart across the icy sheet that surrounds us like acoustic flashes of lightning, auditory quicksilver. I tried to record it, but it's too fast, too random to come out. And all the time, Erica tries to break free. And the ice sheets flex and buckle and splinter with rough, jagged groans. I need to be a little careful when talking about the cold that we're experiencing. Our temperatures have been dropping to around minus five degrees. And I'm aware that it's much colder up north and actually for a little while down in the southeast too. But I'm very aware for some of you in different parts of the world, these temperatures appear to be on the mild side. MJ Brusso, and it's lovely to hear from you wrote to me about the weather that he is experiencing in New England and the daytime temperatures are far lower than our nighttime ones. And I also have some friends over in Texas who are anticipating and preparing for some zero degrees, this is Fahrenheit, temperatures this week. So my thoughts are with you. And a bit closer to home, Jean Mann sent a photograph of a very snowy Norfolk. And Dad was saying that they've had a lot of snow on the North Norfolk coast, uh, where it doesn't snow very often at all. And it's been a long time since that had happened. And actually, I can remember a Christmas when the snow fell heavily and dragging my then very young nephew, Andrew, around the streets on a toboggan. Actually, I'm not sure that he was entirely enamoured with the whole experience, but we enjoyed it. Recently, I've been absolutely blown away by the work of the artist Pete Tuffery and his beautiful and really evocative paintings of narrowboats and canal scenes, but also some of his um, city and urban scenes. They very much 
put me in mind or give me the same feeling that I get when I look at some of Edward Hopper's paintings. Um, they're not the same as Edward Hopper's paintings, but they, they sort of evoke those same sort of emotional responses. I mean, probably most famously Nighthawks, but some of his other uh, works as well, like The Automat or Night Windows, um, or even um, Henri Cartier-Bresson's um, photographs. Um, they're really beautiful. I'm going to put the link to his social media uh, profiles on. So please have a look at them. They are absolutely, and they, they, they capture so well life on the canal, that beautiful mixture of urban and nature that I tried to express in episode five when we looked at Down the Cut and how the canal is both a very natural environment, but also a very urban and industrial environment. And, um, so please have a look at Pete's work. It's, uh, you, I'm sure you'll enjoy it and, and love it. I'm not sure whether it's because of the cold, but a couple of pairs of ducks have become very close neighbours to us, um, particularly during the night at least. Not every night, but at odd times, they, for some reason or other, decide to spend the night tucked close beside us. And during the night, murmurs and quacks break the silence. I lie in bed and listen to their muted murmurings and conversations. One night, I peeped out between the curtains, and the world was washed in the platinum light from a filling moon, and the little hunched, dark-headed figure stomped past, moonlight shining off his glossy head. And through the night, when we've not been caught by the ice, the rattle of beaks on the hull, ducks I've found don't sleep much at night. For the last couple of nights, one or perhaps even two, have been sleeping on our cabin roof and the sound of webbed footsteps pattering above our heads. I'm guessing that the two damped but still warming stoves probably make the roof a good place to overnight. Miles Hadfield's English Almanac lists the 7th to the 14th of February as one of the first of Buchan's much maligned cold spells. I mentioned him in an earlier episode about his uh, much maligned warm or mild smells. Um, and again, it seems to be holding true. And in fact, Woodward and Penn in their The Wrong Kind of Snow bears this out by stating that, on average, statistically, the coldest day of the year is February the 14th, Valentine's Day. Hadfield then goes on to cite the Reverend William Cole and his diary entry for February the 14th in 1766, where he writes, The most singular appearance on the trees and the most beautiful I ever saw. Every twig and leaf of the evergreens were crystallised and the wind shaking them. The large trees made a very odd and surprising noise. What was odd? Kites and hawks fell from the trees and were carried into the house, their wings and feathers being so frozen 
they could not get off. A little later on in 1870, another cleric who kept a diary, the Reverend Francis Kilvert, and he writes, The weather fearful, violent, deadly east wind, and the hardest frost we have had yet. Went to Betus in the afternoon, wrapped in two waistcoats, two coats, a muffler and a mackintosh, and was not at all too warm. When I got to the chapel, my beard, moustaches and whiskers were so stiff with ice that I could not open my mouth, and my beard was frozen to my mackintosh. The baby was baptised in ice, which was broken and swimming about in the font. Richard Jeffries, in his Wildlife in a Southern County, writes some interesting things about the ice and frosts. At one point he writes this, On the afternoon of the day before the beginning of the frost, the wind gradually sinks, and the dead leaves which have been blown to and fro settle in the corners and sheltered places. As the sun sets, all is still, and there is a sense of freshness in the air, and then the logs of wood thrown on the fire burn bright and clear. The surface of a burning log breaks up into small irregular squares, and the old folk shake their heads and say, It'll freeze. As the evening advances, the hooves of the horses passing by on the road give out a sharp sound, a sign that the mud is rapidly hardening. The grass crunches underfoot, and in the morning the elves are white with rime, icicles hang from the thatch, and the ponds are frozen. And a little while later he talks about the lack of ice even during times of frost. But then he says, But it comes at last. Two really sharp frosts will cause ice thick enough to bear a lad at the edge of a lake. Three will bear a man a few yards out, four and it is safe to cross. In a week the ice is between three and four inches thick and would carry a wagon. The character of ice varies. If some sleet has been falling or snow which facilitates freezing, it is thick in colour. If the wind was still, it is dark, sleek, perfectly transparent. It varies, however, in different places, in some having a faint yellowish hue. There are always several places where the ice does not freeze till the last, breathing holes in which the ducks swim, where the brook enters, it is never quite safe. Possibly one of the best descriptions of ice and frost and cold comes from one of Donna's favourite books, and that's Laurie Lee's Village Christmas and Other Notes on the English Year. And on a night like this, it is just simply too good not to share with you. Outside, there's no surprise in the coldness of the morning. It lies on the valley like a frozen goose. The world is white and keen as a map of the poles and as still as the paper it's printed on. Icicles hang from the gutters like glass silk stockings and drip hot drops into my hand as I breathe on them. 
Taking the air in my teeth, I feel the old excitement, the raw echoes of an ancestral world, crammed with bull-headed mammoths and tusk-toothed tigers, of flint spears and boasting in caves. Today is the winter as it always was, and when it wasn't, it was not remembered. Forgotten now are the small freaks of weather, the off-beat heat waves and wet, warm Decembers that have cropped up now and then in the past. Winter was always like this, since the beginning of winters, since the first man learnt to sneeze. Pushing the coal before me, like a sheet of tin, I set off up the Christmas road. I have a new thorn stick with a silver band around it, and new gloves with an itchy price tag. Before the new year I shall no doubt lose the lot. But it doesn't matter. They were made for this day. It is a morning for heroes, an exhilarating exile, a time to shock the blood back to life. While I go stamping, frost-footed along the pathways of iron, over grass that is sharp as wire, past cottages hollowed out like Halloween turnips, all seething with lights and steam. And then, a little later, he writes, Approaching the pond at last, I noticed a sweet smell of ice, or perhaps it's only the memory of it. We could certainly smell ice when we were boys, even in bed, before getting up. One sniff of the air at that moment of waking, and one knew whether the pond was frozen knew the quality of the ice, whether it was rough or smooth, and even, I swear, its thickness. This morning it is a plate of dark green glass, wind-polished and engraved with reeds. An astonished swan walks slowly around it, testing the ice for a hole to sit in. Then, unable to find one, it, it rises up on its webs and flogs the air with its puzzled wings. Like the wood, the pond is under a spell, silent as a loaded gun, its explosions of moorhens, coots and lilies held in check for a suspended moment. I look through the ice and see tiny bubbles of air, bright as lights on a Christmas tree. I see lily leaves, too frozen solid in bunches. I wonder what the fish are doing. I know exactly what Laurie Lee means when he writes about the smell of ice. For me, it's always a smell that I associate with childhood. And for me, rather than it being sweet, it's much more metallic, much more sort of clean and pure. I want to finish tonight with another reading, and this is possibly one of my all-time favourite poems by Mary Oliver, and it's Starlings in Winter. And again, it captures the elements so well, but as in all of Mary Oliver's poems, she also captures and articulates so, so much more. Starlings in Winter by Mary Oliver Chunky and noisy, but with stars in their black feathers they spring from the telephone wire, and instantly 
They are acrobats in the freezing wind, and now in the theatre of air they swing over buildings, dipping and rising. They float like one stippled star that opens, becomes for a moment fragmented, then closes again. And you watch, and you try, but you simply can't imagine how they do it, with no articulated instruction, no pause, only the silent confirmation that they are this notable thing. This wheel of many parts that can rise and spin over and over again, full of gorgeous life. Our world. What lessons you prepare for us. Even in the leafless winter, even in the ashy city, I am thinking now of grief and of getting past it. I feel my boots trying to leave the ground. I feel my heart pumping hard. I want to think again of dangerous and noble things. I want to be light and frolicsome. I want to be improbable, beautiful and afraid of nothing, as though I had wings. And with that, it's time for me to call it a night. Look out of the window and the water lies hard and dark, looking for all the world like a rain-swept, tarmacked parking lot. Look across to the temperature and I see it's slightly rising, promise of a milder weather to come. And so, this is the Narrowboat Erica, signing off for tonight, and wishing you a very warm and peaceful night. Good night. Temperature outside, 0 0.7 degrees. Inside, 25 degrees. Humidity, 55%. Dew point, minus 7 degrees. Wind direction, southeast. Strength, 14 miles per hour. Barometric pressure, 1029.1, falling. Precipitation, trace. Moon phase, 4.9%. Waxing crescent. Day length, 9 hours, 52 minutes. Sunset, 1717. Skycasting, 723.